This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's the Pittsburgh Oddcast. Welcome everybody back to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh. I'm the producer of the program, and with me as always is the founder of the odd, mysterious, and fascinating history of Pittsburgh, John Schalkowski. Let's continue our discussion from last episode with the voice of the Pirates, Greg Brown. You're no doubt known for a few sayings, uh, like raise a Jolly Roger. Um, Are there a few that failed (laughs) and a few that survived? Or did you plan on having kind of your own... You know, uh, sayings per se, like you're, you know, something to make you more unique, you know, to the the average Joe. Well, I'm sure some of them have died on the vine. Uh, I've gotten some suggestions and and done some, uh, and a lot of players. I, I just, I, I really don't. Uh, some people are now, uh, I, I've heard, kind of accusing me of being like John Sterling, who does this for the Yankees. I've been doing this forever. I had nothing to do with John Sterling. Nothing. Um, I've just done this again my whole life, just kind of goofy things. Uh, m- my my mentor, my Yoda, is is Mike Lang, right. uh, and I heck I was I was with Mike, with a buddy of mine years ago at a bar when uh, b- before I was a broadcaster, and and my buddy and I were standing off to the side. Mike was seated seated at the bar with a beer and a c- cigarette, not even paying any attention to this conversation. I, I guess I shouldn't cuss on this podcast, so I won't. But uh, you, you guys will get the gist of it. Uh, my buddy says is telling me this story. And he goes, he called me hey, Brown. He goes, Brown. I swear this guy didn't know whether to beep or wind his watch. And just then, Mike spins around on his stool, bar stool, and uh, we didn't, he wasn't involved in the conversation. He's back to us too. He goes, What do you say? And he goes, What do you mean? What did you just say just now? And, the, and my buddy goes, uh, the guy didn't know whether to beep or wind his watch. He goes, and he takes a puff of a cigarette. He goes, all right, I like it. I like it. He says, uh, Mary, Mary, can you uh, get, uh, get, me a, get me a napkin and a pen, please? And she, what? Give me, yep, yeah, yeah, bring it over, yep. Yeah. And, he, he, he's, and, and my buddy and I are looking. He goes, wait a minute. Are you going to use this as a call? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just writing it down. No, don't, no, hold on. And he writes it, and he puts it in his pocket. And now my buddy's going crazy. And he goes, now, listen, kid, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it. I get a lot of these. We'll see. <laughs> so now we would go to hockey games, and my buddy would be just constantly go, We'd run to the car hoping to hear this call, and we wouldn't for the longest time. And my buddy would bug me. Go, hey, call Lang. What's going on here? I said, I don't know. So every once in a while, I'd call Mike. I'd say, hey, Mark, Mark wants to know. You know, tell him to quit bugging me. I don't know. I'm going to try. You know, maybe one day. You know, it might. I might. One day, sure enough, we run to the car, and we get in, and we're hearing the highlights. And, you know, and the Penguins took a 2-1 lead uh, on uh, Mario Lemieux's goal against Ron Hextoff. A right-wing circle. A yonker back over to Lemieux. He shoots and scores. Oh, and Hextall didn't know whether to cry or wind his watch. Well, now we were famous. We're going nuts. We're high-fiving each other in the car because he cleaned it up, used the word cry, and... Uh, now I realize how important those calls were. So when I was in the front office, John, in the marketing department, early on, uh, um, I'm probably 19 years old, maybe 20 years old, 
young pup. I thought it was so neat that the Chicago Cubs, when they won, they would raise this flag, a W, over Wrigley Field. And I always thought that, man, why don't the Pirates take advantage of their nickname? So I went in one day. I said, excuse me, knock, knock, Mr. O'Toole, and he's very intimidating. What do you want, gruff? You know, it's, ah, I just got an idea. Well, what? What is it? Hurry up. I'm busy. I said, you know, when we win, the Pirates win, why don't we put like a big skull and crossbones on the top of Three River Stadium so that people that go to work the next day, they can look across the river, look up, and they would know if we won the game the night before by just seeing the skull and crossbones because when a pirate ship is captured, get out of my office, kid. This isn't a circus. So I tabled it until Bob walked one day. In, well, not one day, a long. He said, you've got to have a signature call. And he went through all these announcers that had these calls, you know, put it in the books for the Mets or uh, this one belongs to the Reds for the Reds. Lanny for Terry. There was no doubt about it. Uh, Bob Prince did. Uh, we had him all the way. I said, I don't want to do that, Bob. I don't want to do something contrived. And he, he kept bugging me. And I did tell him this story. And he goes, well, you know, that's, a, that's they call that the Jolly Roger. How about hoist the Jolly Rogers? We talked about it. We came up with Raise the Jolly Roger. And I used it back at Three River Stadium at the end of the, those years. And the early part of PNC Park, nobody paid attention. Nobody paid any attention to it whatsoever. Then, out of the woodwork, everybody started to ask the question. It was a front-page story in 2013 in the Post-Gazette. And I'd been doing it for years, but obviously we started winning. And well, I guess they say the rest is history. I remember looking for a Raise the Jolly Roger shirt when I started catching. And it was before the free t-shirt Thursdays are now Fridays and that was we were all looking for Raise the Jolly Roger shirts yeah, yeah, now they're doing that they do those shirts they do raise it uh, they do RTJR, RTJR there was one day I looked down at the, there, there were some fans yelling to me between innings and I looked down below you, you've seen our broadcast booth so you know how close it is and young kids are pointing to this sign it says RTJR and they're like raising their fists I'm going I said I don't know what that means they go what I don't know what it is Raise the Jolly Roger so now it's hashtag RTJR, and, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely caught on. It's really and, cool. And, and you get, a, like, 50% of those royalties, I'm sure. People, I say, you know what I get? I get occasionally they hand me an extra T-shirt when they have a Raise It Night or a Raise the Jolly Roger T-shirt. I get nothing and like it, and, uh, and that's, the, that's okay. That's when, another thing I want to touch on real quick is the color that you bring to the Pirates. Um, it's a sport, and it's a business. But for most people, it's a form of entertainment. And it bugs me when some people will talk about how, you know, they think calls like that are a little hokey and they just want the play-by-play. And I just think that's kind of like old, you know, curmudgeonly way to look at it. You'd look at the history of Pittsburgh broadcasting back from Rosie Rosewell. He would, they would pretend to smash a window. Raise, I was well, going to say that. Uh, raise the window, Aunt Minnie. Get a, get a, a, a pie pan, fill it with nuts and bolts. And for a while, it was Prince. Prince would stand on a chair in the broadcast booth, and Rosie would point to Prince when the ball was leaving the ballpark and say, open the window, Aunt Minnie, and he'd drop it. And he'd drop this pie pan to sound like it's a crash. Oh, she never made it. So in other words, the home run went through the window. So I'm glad you point that out because I've tried to tell people this. Listen, I'm not – one of the things Mike Lang taught me a long time ago, he said, my best piece of advice – don't be a phony, especially in this town. Pittsburghers, they're, I mean, you know, you guys know this. You're Pittsburgh. You, you, you can't fool them. You, you, if you're a fraud, they'll see right through it, and they won't like you. And now they may not like what you do, 
but they'll appreciate that, that, that you're true to who you are. And, and so, and in this business, you also got, you guys know this. If you please 51% of the audience, you've won the ball game. I know it. Believe me. I, I, I've said to people, and I mean this sincerely, I probably would not care for Greg Brown as a kid growing up. Probably not. Um, especially if you aren't a diehard pirate fan. I know the people that don't like me aren't really pirate fans, and that's okay. Uh, I didn't like Harry Callis. I wasn't a Philly fan. I couldn't stand some of the stuff Harry Callis did. Uh, Michael Jack Schmidt. I hated that when Michael, Mike Schmidt hit a home run. Home run, Michael Jack Schmidt. I couldn't stand it. Um, so I didn't like Harry Callis as a kid. I loved Harry Callis as a broadcaster, and especially when I got to know him. So I understand that. Um, one of the first things, my first year here, about a month or two into my first year broadcasting, I got a call from a, a big family. I had a, several siblings in the area. One brother, an attorney, called me shortly into my first year. And we would talk about the team. The team wasn't very good, blah, blah, blah. He goes, hey, you know, hey, you want to hear some criticism? I said, yeah, I'm, I'll give, give it all to me. I'm ready. And I, I've got thick skin now. He goes, okay, well, a couple things. Number one, my buddies, they, they say you're, okay, they like you, but they don't like when you call Bob Walk walkie on the air. You're call- and I said, okay. And I thought about it, and I, I tabled that. And then he said, the other thing, too, is they think you get a little too excited sometimes for, like, home runs. So I said, okay, I appreciate it, and I hung up the phone. So I thought about it. To this day, I've not called Bob Walk walkie on the air, even though he and I have become great friends. And the reason was that I thought about it. It made sense. Like, who am I, some kid from Buffalo, to assume that I'm buddies with Bob? Am I I doing it? And I thought I might have been doing this, by the way. I might have been just calling him walkie to sound familiar so that pirate fans would think, oh, that. And, you know, that made a lot of sense. So, bang, stop doing it right then and there because that made. But then... The more I thought about the other part about getting too excited, the angrier I got. And I've talked to people on the air about it because occasionally this would come up. Not as much anymore, but there were times when we were losing before the streak ended in 13 when I, would got, a, I got a call one time from TAE. They, they were doing a sports talk show, and they wanted to have me on the air because people were calling, ripping me and Steve because of a call we had about a Pedro Alvarez game-winning home run in a meaningless game in September against the Colorado Rockies, a walk-off home run. And they, they had me on the air, and the host kind of agreed with it. You know, don't you think it's a little overboard? You know, the Pirates aren't going anywhere, and you're going crazy. And I said, you know, Mike Lang's a friend of mine, a dear friend. But in a meaningless early hockey game, in Belize, and I'm sorry, hockey in September is meaningless. But he gets goes crazy for a, a game-winning goal in hockey. How about back then, this was Myron Cope was still doing the games. Myron Cope was the so-called voice of the Steelers. I'd say, do you hear Myron Cope do a spring train, a Steeler game preseason? Have you heard him go crazy? What a throw from Brister, whoever it was. It's a great, going crazy. Meaningless. So wait a minute. It's okay for Lang with hockey and the Penguins. It's okay for Cope and the Steelers. But the minute somebody gets excited about the Pirates, there's something wrong? No, I get mad. I will never apologize for getting excited about the Pittsburgh Pirates. There are two memories, and I hate to make this about me. I'm just trying to relay my <laughs> stories. Um, Andrew McCutcheon was an all-star. I believe it was 2013, and he had hit a home run right before the all-star break, the last game here at home. 
and I was driving on 279 right by the ballpark as it happened, and I heard you, and everybody was giving him a standing ovation, and you said something along the lines of, you know, we're going to stand up for you too, Mr. All-Star, and I had goose. I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about that call. The other one is Andrew McCutcheon's game-winning call against the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2014 or 15. It was an 11-inning game, I believe. It was prime time on ESPN, but I was listening on the radio. And that call still gives me goosebumps. And I, that, when you started talking about that criticism, that makes me angry because if it's, if it's 10 to nothing uh, and the opposition's winning and Colin Moran hits a, a solo shot in the ninth inning, you don't go nuts. Well, it's funny you say that. And I've told people that. And, and it's almost weird. Here I am <laughs> defending myself. I don't, I don't go crazy when the Pirates hit a home run. I really don't. What I should be saying, yeah, I, I go crazy all the time because I want the Pirates to win. And I, say, but you're, and I, don't, and I, I really think I've been true, again, true to myself. I, I actually go nuts for opposing team great plays. I really do. I love the game of baseball. I love sports. I appreciate great play and great players. So... I try to naturally get excited. That's who I am. But, yeah, you're right, uh, Andy. I don't I, – I, Bino Cook, you know, God rest his soul, uh, was in the lunchroom at Three River Stadium one day, and Bino was no baseball fan. He, he hated baseball. Um, up oh, right, yeah, yeah. He, he yelled – and he, I guess he didn't know I was in line, or somebody said something about Greg. Greg Brown would make a routine double play sound like it's a seventh game of the World Series, like ripping me. And, and you know, not true. It, 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 again, it's hashtag fake news. Um, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I, I do believe in my heart of hearts that I get criticism from non-baseball fans. I think there's a jealousy, uh, to be honest with you. I really do. I think, and not that I'm a, a great broadcaster, but there are some people that, really are are jealous when the pirates do well um they don't want for some reason and this goes back to my point about it's all the sports teams i i've had people come up to me oh i'm not a pirate fan i'm a steeler fan or oh i don't like the pirates i like the penguins i don't get that either what in the world are you talking about how can you be a fan of one team in this town and not all of them now now you may have a true passion more for one is there a dislike for a team when you're living in this town? That doesn't make sense to me. So, but I do think there's kind of a, a little, a, a jealous bone in some people's bodies uh, about, and you know, I'm sorry, the greatest sport to broadcast is baseball. It just naturally is. It's every day. We're with you every day, starting in the middle. Sometimes now, spring training games we do middle of February. Hopefully, someday until the middle of. October or the end of October, early November. And, 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 and I think that maybe fans of other teams, perhaps, or other sports, you know, kind of waiting for their sport to come. Maybe they don't. I've, I've thought about it so much. Like, I'm, maybe I'm kind of grasping at straws to try and figure people out, and I shouldn't. Um, but the bottom line is, I agree with you, Andy. And, and you know, these, these are moments that will hold true forever. One of the greatest lessons of my life, I was a color analyst for the Buffalo Bills. And... My last year broadcast, we go to Super Bowls. The first game after losing to the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl, whatever year that was, the following year we open up in Dallas against the Cowboys. And so the play-by-play guy had been there forever. 
And I had become not a co-play-by-play guy, but such a nice man. And I consider him one of my mentors. He passed away a few years ago. He was there in the old AFL days with the Bills. Just a great and just so popular. He would, I mean, he'd call a touchdown. He would literally stand on the desk in front of us, reaching out, waving at the fans in the middle of the winter, Van Miller. But, he, you know, he was, he was getting up there in years. And, and so uh, here is Troy Aikman. The, the Bills are leading by five points. Troy Aikman's driving down, seconds on the clock. He, he's at the 20-yard line. He throws a pass, fourth down, to try and win it. Matt Darby is the safety who goes and bats it away and, and uh, saves, the, saves the game. Well, so the call is, he goes, uh, Aikman bats a pass, throws it in the end zone, and, and all you hear is just the crowd going crazy. He can't identify, and the guy, the spotter, is trying to point, and I see it. I go, Darby, Darby breaks it up. Darby, the Bills win it. And, and, and so then he goes, ah, Darby. And, and what I found out later was he made a phone call that night to the program director angry at me for stepping on him, which I don't like to do. I didn't want to do. It was just natural. I got a call from the program director the next morning, calls me into his office, closes the door, sits down at his big desk, and I'm going, uh-oh, here we go. I'm going to get reamed out. He goes, you know you're here, don't you? I said, yeah. He goes, uh, the call? Yep. He goes, Greg, do you know that I grew up in Cincinnati? I said, yeah, I guess so. And he goes, and he turns, and he hits this big tape deck that he has with stereo. And he goes, I'm going to let you listen to something that I listen to in the morning on my way to work when I'm in a bad mood. And it's Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall calling a playoff game of the Cincinnati Reds. And Brenneman's call is, you know, about George Foster hits this home run to win a playoff game. And the Reds win it. Well, stepping all over him is Joe Nuxall. Go, yes, yes, yes. And so it's kind of bedlam in the booth. And, and he stops it. And he goes, do you know why I played that? I go, no. He goes, because that is natural. That's what sports is all about. It's not robotic. It's not planned. It's ad-libbing. It's spur of the moment. What you did was spur of the moment. That call will live on forever because you jumped in there because you were excited. Don't ever lose that. This, I listen to this. This is my life when I am in a bad mood. So the point I brought you in here, don't ever stop doing that. It, and, and so, again, it's a great lesson. That's what sports is. That's incredible. Um, so do you have a, a favorite call, like a favorite, you know, game that you've called or incidents uh, or memorable ones that you've uh, experienced or ones you wish you could have but you know, didn't have the opportunity to? Or, uh, you know, what, what's your favorite calls that you've seen while being experienced here with the Pirates or with any, any organization? Well, I mean, being involved with the greatest comeback in NFL history was something yeah. I'll never forget. And, and I, again, I was with Van uh, on that call, uh, the, the Houston Oilers and the, and the Buffalo Bills, uh, playoff game, wild card. Uh, I mean, and, and in addition to doing the games, I would spend the next day on the morning show taking calls for like three hours. I, I did that every week. I was like the Bills beat guy, the expert, and, and so I'd be taking calls. And I did sports talk at night leading up to the games, and – I mean, so people would talk about the stories that they left the game and they, they had a tailgate on the New York Thruway. People left the, because the game was so out of hand, but they listened to the call. And so they just started randomly pulling off the side of the road. There was just one huge tailgate party. I mean, in the middle of the winter on the New York Thruway. And I, I, that gives me goosebumps to think about. Uh, some tried to drive back and get into the, the stadium, rich stadium. So that stands out as a great moment in time for me my greatest moment as a play-by-play guy was John Wainer hitting the final home run 
in the history of Three River Stadium. I was on the TV call with Steve Blass, and they brought Nellie King back, nostalgic moment for the final game ever. I knew John from my Buffalo days because John came through the minor league, so he and I were kind of friends. And I'd gone to John that morning, and I don't keep memorabilia, but I did. That day, I got the scorecard, and I had each position player sign it, each pirate. And I saw the lineup card, and I thought, Gene Lamont, what a class move. You start a Carrick kid, a Pittsburgh native, at third base. That is class. The Pirates were out of it, meaningless game against the Cubs. John rarely, he was a bit player, utility guy. He certainly didn't start many games, and he rarely hit home. He had hit a total of four home runs his entire career. People still give him grief. But I went and I sat down at the stool next to him. And I said, how you feeling? He goes, pretty cool. I said, this is so awesome. I said, sign this here for me. Third base, John Wayner. I said, here you are. You grew up a pirate fanatic in Carrick. Your story is incredible. You shouldn't be here. He says, he, to this day, he says, I should be in jail or dead the, where he grew up. But he went on to play college ball at Indiana, drafted by the Pirates, makes it not only to the big leagues, but as a pirate player, won a World Series ring in 97 with the Marlins. Jim Leland brought him down there. And here he is, the final game ever at Three River Stadium, historic. He used to go there as a kid watching the games. And so I'm so happy for him that he's playing. And he says, yeah, I'm getting grief in here. You're kidding me. They, they want me to hit a home run. And we, had, we shared the chuckle. We laughed. And I left, and I went upstairs, and I'm in the press room at Three River Stadium, which was on the third level, where the radio booth was located. The TV booth was located in a stairwell just above it. So you'd have to run up a flight of stairs to get to the TV booth or take the elevator. And I'm sitting with Bob Walk, who, of course, is also good friends with John, played with him, telling him the story and showing him this card that I got signed. And I said, they're kidding him because they're saying he's going to hit a home run. He goes, man, wouldn't that be so cool? I said, come on, just the fact that he's playing is so great. So fast forward, here I am in the booth with Nellie King. They're reminiscing, he and Steve Blass, about the Three River Stadium days. And in about the seventh inning, the Pirates are down Two runs, two men on base, two outs, and John Lieber, former Pirate, is pitching for the Cubs. And as Nellie and Steve are reminiscing about old days at Three River Stadium, the moment stands still, and it happens every time, goosebumps like crazy when I tell this story. This pitch is delivered, and, and I've heard players say this, that something stops almost. You're, it, it gets quiet. Uh, it's slow motion. And for me... That happened, and I'm calling the game. Then it's John Wayner at the plate, and he swings, and the ball takes off, and it stops. The moment in time stops, stands still, because in my mind, it's not registering. I don't believe what I'm about to see. I see this ball leaving the ballpark. I'm thinking, like, this can't be happening. Three River Stadium, 60,000 people going crazy, and John Wayner's about to hit a home run to give the Pirates the lead in the seventh inning. So... I, I, I'm like Greg Brown, typical, I go crazy. I'm going nuts, and I'm sure I stepped all over Steve and Nellie. And I am absolutely apoplectic. I don't know what to do. I can't speak. I'm screaming. And John is going through there, and I'm emotional, and, and I get emotional when I tell the story because when I turn in the booth, as that inning is coming to an end and I'm losing my voice, I turn, and who has run up from the radio booth to the TV booth but, Steve, but Bob Walk? to greet me. I take off my headset and I run back to the back of the booth and I jump into his arms and we share a moment that we'll never forget. He's holding me like Bob Robertson held Steve Blass at the end of the 71 World Series. And we're jumping up and down like we had just hit the home run and where tears are streaming down our face. And when I tell the story in public with John there, John starts crying and it, it's just incredible 
that that moment happened. So that's my favorite probably moment. My favorite call might be winning against the Reds, going to St. Louis. I had, you know, I don't script anything, but in the back of my mind, I thought how big a moment this was. I shared the, the tears when I watched Andrew McCutcheon take the field and pat his heart in a 360 motion to all the fans as he pointed to them. So I'm, I'm crying as I'm watching that and watching, and this is what I had told people for so many years, this is a great baseball town, it's as good as any. Just you need a ballpark, number one, which they didn't have at Three Rivers, and you need a winning team. And it all came to pass that night in one great moment in time. I had my words that I spoke for years when I got on my soapbox, I knew it, and it happened that night. And I proved everyone, I proved to myself and anyone that ever heard me say it and said, you're full of baloney, Brown. No, this is a great baseball town. But we needed those two things, and that's what happened. So I thought as, as the game went on, I thought, my gosh, what if we win this ball game? And I remember this, an old song by Judy Garland, a, a, a classic old movie I had heard, Meet me in St. Louis, Louis. In fact, they play it on the organ every night at, at, in St. Louis at Bush Stadium, um, along with the Clydesdales, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Anheuser-Busch song. Anyway, so as the ground ball goes to Neil Walker, that's what right went through my mind. The Pirates are going to St. Louis now for the division series. He threw to first, and I said, raise the Jolly Roger and meet me in St. Louis, Louis. And so that's probably my favorite call. I want to thank you uh, for, for coming on. And, um, you know, it's incredible to talk baseball history and just the, the excitement that's involved around the game and just being a fan in your heart and, and how that, you know, translates no matter if you're winning or losing. You're just a fan of the game and a fan of the team. And that is what really does count. And, I, and it's, um, you're a good example. And your enthusiasm does rub off on people. And uh, it's very clear. And your influence does not go unlooked. And uh, thank you for doing what you do. John was mentioning this earlier. You represent a very small number of people that have been the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's kind of like being the coach of the Steelers. There's only been three (laughs) since 1969. You know, it's you, Lanny, Prince, and Rosie, basically, as the voice. Um, No offense to anybody that's ever taken the mic, but does that ever hit you, that kind of... Does it become overwhelming, or do you just kind of go about your, your business? It really doesn't, going back to what I said before, Andy and John, that, that um, I, I, I just go about doing the best job I can. And somebody said something, I think it was Jack Buck once, to Lanny interviewed Jack Buck for a pregame after he had got, into the, uh, Ford, got the Ford Frick Award. And, and I've gotten to know some people at the Hall of Fame, um, curators and such, and, and one guy has told me, he said, just so you know, there's no way to stop this, but it's a little sensitive. Announcers are not Hall of Famers. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, there is an award given, and there's a wing outside kind of the Hall of Fame. But we, we know there's no way to stop it. So they're called Hall of Famers forever, but just so you know. And so I, 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 I'm sensitive to that. I understand it. But, but we broadcasters you know, like to beat our chest and say, you know, we're Hall of Famers, and, and that's just the way it is. But there, so they, he won, Jack Buck won the Ford Frick Award at the Hall of Fame, as Bob Prince has done and others. And so Lanny was interviewing me and, and talking about, you know, now you're in the Hall of Fame. And kind of matter of fact, said, no, it might have been Euchre, actually. It was Euchre, Bob Euchre. He said, heck, Lanny, someday you might get it because it basically it's 
being around so long. And one thing Clint Hurdle has said, I think speaks to this, a quote that he found somewhere about how greatness is measured by being good for a really long time. That's what makes somebody great. And I think about that a lot. And so I've been around for a long time, uh, back to 1994, and, and you mentioned, Andy, the other names that were around longer, um, Prince and now Lanny. The only two, I know that, the only two announcers in pirate history around longer than I are Prince and Lanny. That, and so that speaks to the number of games I've done. I've been around this long, and I just, just kind of keep plugging away, do the best job I can. I think I owe it to fans, no matter win or lose, to work hard and put the best product out there and be the eyes and the voice uh, of the team. And uh, whatever that gets me, that'll be great someday to kind of look back on. But I'm not looking to kind of be a Hall of Fame guy. I'm not looking to break records. I just kind of do what I do. I hope this podcast gives people a little bit of look into how you are basically no different. I mean, you do your job on, on play-by-play, but Larry Richard is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, Jeff Hathorne from 93.7 The Fan is also one of the most genuine people I've ever met. I put you up there with them. Uh, I appreciate your time and your kindness and uh, this friendship we've developed. And uh, it means a lot to me. And I just can't say it enough. And I hope people just can have some sort of inkling of, you know, what kind of person you really are. So thank you. Andy, thank you. And, th- and, and that humbles me because I agree with you. They're the greatest. They, they're great at what they do. You as well. John, you as well. You guys are, are just down-to-earth good people, and I love that. And I'd love to sometime, maybe this winter, whenever you guys do another one, sit down and do it, you know, sure. off-season one. Because uh, sure. I, I, love, I love talking baseball. It's the greatest sport on earth. Uh, that's why I'm so passionate about the designated hitter and other things. I think we need to teach it. I think the more, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can be 10 years old. Once they learn it and know it, they'll love it. It's such a great game. Well, uh, we end every episode with a saying, and if you could mind uh, joining us. That's it for Pitt.